Hello, uh, my name is Maria Titizian and welcome to EVN Talks. My guest today is Tamara Boskanian from Los Angeles. She is the co-founder of the Center for Truth and Justice and Talin Hidik, a Chicago-based lawyer who's joining us from Geneva. Um, Talin has extensive experience in international law. Uh, welcome to the program, Tamara and Talin. Thank you. Thank you. This, I believe, is going to be a very important conversation. Uh, Tamara, I'd like to begin with you. If you could tell our listeners a little bit about uh, CFTJ, when and why it was formed, its mission, its goals, and then later we'll talk about why you have a delegation in Geneva. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, CFTJ was formed essentially during the war and right after the end of the war. We are a group of about 25 lawyers. who We're all Los Angeles-based and one judge. And we were formed basically during the war as we were watching what was happening and trying to determine how we could use our professional skill set to assist with what was happening in Armenia. Uh, it was very difficult to be away from the war zone. We had a lot of friends there and um, they were fighting on front lines and all different areas. And we felt like there's something we must be doing ourselves. So we connected with each other. Some of us have known each other before. Some of us have never met. And we just said, what can we do? We started brainstorming about what we could possibly do. We looked into, you know, filing certain types of complaints and doing all different things that lawyers do. But eventually um, what happened was, as you know, the war ended very suddenly. And when the war ended suddenly, we started to see that as the people were emptying out of Parapak into Armenia, um, we wanted to get a message to them. Don't leave without your documents. Make sure that you have at least your most important papers. We didn't know why we were telling them that or what we were going to do about it or if we were going to do anything about it. We just knew that we needed to get this message to them. So um, my co-founder, Malena, she created a video saying, saying essentially that. And then the video went a little bit viral and people started messaging her. Okay, now I'm safe in Armenia. I've got my documents. What do I do? And she was talking to us saying, what am I going to tell these people? I don't, I don't know what to tell them. Uh, we've got to, we've got to help these people. We've got to figure out what they're going to do. So this is sort of a very organic grassroots way that it started was us just trying to figure out how can we help. And we decided let's help people in Armenia collect the, collect testimony, collect evidence from survivors of the war just sit down and interview survivors of the war. We decided that we would work with law students. So we started working with just one law school in, in Yerevan, the Russian-Armenian Slavonikan University. We started with just one university and we had um, law students go out and interview witnesses. And then we expanded over time um, and we've been running for almost two years now. Um, we're now at all the law schools in Armenia and the um, state university in Artsakh. We run a, um, a clinical program on the semester schedule with law students. So they are the ones that are sitting down with witnesses and discussing with them what their experience was like in the war and, you know, taking photographs of the evidence and storing the evidence, storing the, um, the interviews are all audiovisual interviews. So we store all that data on our secure system. And then since then, so you know, we didn't know exactly what we would do with it, but we knew that we can't have legal processes without evidence. Now we have the evidence. We've taken more than 350 interviews. That includes uh, with 
your average, you know, witness of the war, as well as with victims of drone attacks, white phosphorus attacks, uh, former returned POWs, families of current POWs and families of current MIA. So we have interviewed a wide variety of people and we are figuring out ways every single day for how to use that evidence. We've contributed, our evidence has been used at the International Court of Justice case and also in multiple other cases in progress. And we're still figuring out all the different creative ways to try and use it. You know, this seems to be a common narrative during and after the war, how the diaspora came together using its extensive expertise in different fields to really support um, and try to make positive change is the right word at this moment. But that kind of commitment and dedication um, that you guys are all doing is is really, really incredible. And the, these audiovisual testimonies will become a living memorial to crimes against humanity that were committed. So just to know that it's deeply, deeply appreciated. And on that note, I do want to switch over to you, Tallinn. It's very early in Geneva at this moment. Thank you for joining us. Um, I was watching sure. some of the proceedings uh, that were taking place uh, because this year Azerbaijan is under review by the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. Um, I also listened to your testimonials and your speeches uh, during the proceedings. Uh, and I must say, you know, almost two years post-war, it was really jarring to hear some of the things that you were talking about, especially with the returned POWs. But I want to hear from you. You're leading the CFTJ delegation right now in Geneva. So tell us exactly what you're doing and what you hope the outcome will be. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. At the outset, I just want to say uh, I'm so grateful to CFTJ for believing in my ability to give interventions on the floor of a UN committee and for giving me this opportunity. Um, we've had some, what I think are really encouraging and fruitful meetings aside from even what the interventions that we had an opportunity to have before the CERD. When I say CERD, I'm referring to the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, just so we're clear. And the committee, as you said, is giving a review of Azerbaijan, each state party is up for review, it's supposed to be every five years, but COVID gave us some delays. So now it's been about seven years since Azerbaijan's uh, last review. And there were other countries up for review in this term as well, including the United States, which was uh, interesting to, to witness as a, as a U.S. citizen myself. So um, we gave interventions before the CERD, which is an interesting concept to begin with, because the convention on all forms of the elimination of racial discrimination is a UN human rights treaty, which is governed by a UN human rights treaty body, which is the committee we were speaking in front of. And therefore they tend to want to give credence to civil society and NGOs generally, much more than they do statements from states. This is not the General Assembly of the UN. This is not the Security Council. So the statements from states are, you know, given their value because states need to be able to, quote unquote, defend themselves if they, uh, if they are accused of uh, a violation of the convention. But what I was heartened by, and what I've always been heartened by also as a professor of international law, is that the human rights system really gives voice to the people in the form of uh, always allowing to have an audience with CSOs and NGOs. And that's why we were there. And uh, Tamar and her 
brilliant lawyers over there in LA worked so hard in collecting the material, the raw material, where now we have this enormous, impressive archive of primary source evidence. And that primary source evidence um, can be used in a lot of different fora within the UN human rights system. Um, so this is just the beginning, but um, this was our first intervention before a UN, UN human rights treaty body. And it was all about racial discrimination. And I think it was the most appropriate place to start because it's clear from their testimonies and it's clear from those of us paying attention to the conflict and the behavior during the conflict that all of Azerbaijan's violations of international law were committed through the lens of racial discrimination. The lens through which they behave is a pattern of hatred toward Armenians, which we're all very familiar with. So I think that this committee in particular was the right place to start because you can discuss erasure of cultural heritage, you can discuss ill treatment of POWs and civilians, you can discuss the most clear example, which is racist and vile hate speech from their high-ranking officials. And all of this behavior is well-documented, has testimony to back it up, and is committed through the lens of racial discrimination. So it all violates the, this convention. So this was a, a two-day review, if I'm not mistaken. And as you said, yep. there are several other countries that are under review. Why is this important uh, in terms of Armenia's case at the International Court of Justice? I mean, the CERD's review of Azerbaijan, will that impact that process? Very good question. So to my mind, it is 99% sure that each justice at the International Court of Justice, each judge, excuse me, I should say, will read the final published report of Azerbaijan. And likewise, the case is still going to go on next year, too. The ICJ case takes quite a long time. When Armenia is up for review in the CERD, they will also read the final published report of Armenia. Why? Because the only convention that is in dispute in the International Court of Justice proceedings is this convention. So it is the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. As you know, I'll just remind you, Armenia launched a case first. And so there are two, there's a case, Armenia versus Azerbaijan. And then Azerbaijan sort of replied with a countersuit. So now there's another case, Azerbaijan versus um, Armenia, which they were, they were ready for our complaint, it seems, and, and, and they responded in kind. But in both cases, so now there, these are two cases that have been joined. Both cases only concern the Convention on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. So anything that the UN treaty body puts out regarding these two countries is going to be phenomenally pertinent to their case. Uh, Tali, could you tell us uh, a bit about uh, the Azerbaijani delegation's uh, presentation? Um, it's over now, as I believe, and there are two rapporteurs uh, who were asking questions uh, as well. Was there anything there that you felt was egregious or um, untruthful? So just a tiny bit about the process. So well before they get into the room, and there's a document that the CERD puts out, which is 
themes that we're concerned about or themes we want to hear more about from the state party. When I say state party, I mean Azerbaijan in this case. Then they assign what's called a country rapporteur who takes the lead on uh, the investigation of this country. And then there's a task force. So we had one country rapporteur and one task force member. Um, and then there's also someone called a core rapporteur, which was also assigned to Azerbaijan, but he had very limited interaction um, uh, in, in these proceedings. So the questions went back and forth. And on the themes that were assigned to Azerbaijan, a lot of them touched upon Armenians as a quote-unquote ethnic minority within Azerbaijan proper. But then there was also a separate theme set aside for treatment of uh, ethnic minorities and mainly Armenians within the Nagorno-Karabakh region. So we heard a lot of questions from not only the country repertoire and the task force member, but also other committee members, which I must say I was heartened to hear. A couple of them said, we have received reports that Armenians are told that they are enemies of the people when they're in school, even pupils, very young pupils in middle school grades. Um, what are you doing to combat this? What is the state party's position on this? Um, and then one committee member said, I've seen the viral videos of Armenian POWs being beheaded. Um, this is really not okay. What are you doing to combat this? And have you investigated these crimes and prosecuted the perpetrators? There was questions regarding the defacing of Armenian sites of cultural heritage, removing Armenian inscriptions, um, and of course, removing crosses and domes from the architecture of Armenian churches. Um, so the questions to me were good. I, I was glad that they touched upon e each one of these topics, not especially since they were submitted in not only our alternative report, but about seven other Armenian uh, Armenian concerned NGOs submitted alternative reports as well. So the questions were good. The answers were smoke and mirrors um, and a lot of accusations on the other side. As a matter of fact, I'll say I was, I had forgotten because it's been, a, it's been a couple, uh, maybe it's six months since I've really seriously listened to someone in the Azerbaijani Foreign Service give a speech. And I had forgotten that they are experts, extremely talented at using their time whenever they're giving a diplomatic intervention to concentrate on accusations by the, of conduct by the Republic of Armenia. And let me just point out, we've already established this, but in this context, it's particularly strange sounding because the only dialogue in this chamber should be between committee members asking questions and a state party saying how they did or did not comply with the convention during the time period we're talking about. That's the only subject that we should be talking about. There was never mention of any other country in any of the other reviews. There usually is not. And so even Azerbaijan's introduction from the Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs um, spent about three minutes talking about themselves and 20 minutes talking about how the Republic of Armenia has violated the convention. And the answers to their questions were very much in the same vein. So literally, they would say, regarding your question, distinguished committee member about erasure of cultural heritage, I would like to outline the 756 
pieces of Azerbaijani cultural heritage that have been destroyed by the Armenian people. And they even brought in the deputy prosecutor general. And he said, regarding your question about investigating crimes committed by service members, I would like to point out that we have investigated and convicted 60 so 60 or so are citizens of the Republic of Armenia for the crimes that they have committed during the armed conflict, especially on Azerbaijani civilians and POWs. And the part that I was most disheartened by is that no one in the committee followed up to say, this is a review of your own country and your own conduct. And you are participating in this review because you are a state party to this convention. And so that was interesting uh, and, and a little bit disheartening. But I would be remiss if I didn't say I am also interested in investigations of conduct committed by Armenian service members and in any investigations that of conduct by anyone that resulted in human rights violations, crimes against humanity, or uh, violations of the Geneva Conventions. I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm not saying that it's not possible that crimes were committed by citizens of the Republic of Armenia or by citizens of Artsakh. That's not the point. The point is that during these reviews, there is a, a pattern of impunity that is disheartening to see and particularly disheartening to see um, a UN treaty body not sort of check them and, and simply ask them for more information about their own conduct. Or, or call them out on um, sort of diverting from what this conversation should be about. I do want to ask a quick question. We know that uh, Azerbaijan is a, an authoritarian country and very repressive toward uh, civil society and the media. Were civil society organizations, not that there are very many in Azerbaijan, included in this process, or this is a, a government to UN body um, process? The dialogue in this process is civil society organizations from anywhere and the government, and those are the entities that should be communicating with with the treaty body. In this case, the civil society organizations were the vast majority discussing the Nagorno-Karabakh issue, and they were Armenian-oriented civil society, let me put it that way. Uh, the country rapporteur mentioned a couple of times, she said, why am I not seeing any Talish or uh, any other well-known minority group within Azerbaijan here. Um, I will say they did have one intervention on the floor of the CERD, someone who um, gave his remarks remotely from Baku. And basically, uh, he was a member of a um, minority rights group. I was surprised to see him, to be honest. And he said, we are persona non grata here. We have absolutely no access to domestic funding. Our bank accounts are frozen. We have no access to foreign funding. We are persona non grata here. And it is almost impossible for us to do any work at all. And that's the reality of the situation. A question to both of you. What are, what are the next steps? When do we expect um, the final review to be published on Azerbaijan's compliance with CERD? And what are the next steps for CFTJ in that regard? So Tallinn, yeah, go ahead. 
So just really quickly, we talked a lot about what we were doing in the CERT. I was, um, it just happened. So I was excited to give you all the details that I remembered. But um, I also want to say that we've been doing, we've been having lots of other meetings while we've been here with a lot of representatives from what are called, um, you know, another sort of system in the UN human rights uh, system called uh, special mandates or special procedures. And these are mandate holders around a certain theme. So we've been meeting with a lot of lawyers from groups like the Special Rapporteur on Torture, the Working Group on Enforced Disappearances, the Working Group on Arbitrary Detention. Um, we also met with the Special Rapporteur on Racism and Xenophobia and the Special Rapporteur on Cultural Rights. I know that that was a lot of words just then. But what we're trying to do with them is to pick out this excellently collected evidence from CFTJ and give them a story when we sit down in front of them in Geneva and we go to their offices. Many times I've actually just flipped my laptop around and shown them testimony. And uh, the group from CFTJ has been doing a phenomenal job of getting subtitles in English. And we've been showing them testimony of POWs detailing their abuse. Um, and we've been showing them a lot of primary source evidence. And I, I dare say, I think they've been impressed and they want to have that, that evidence in their hands and they want to bring it up the chain to their supervisors and figure out what they can do. So in terms of next steps, I'm extremely heartened by those meetings we've been having, the face-to-face -face meetings. And I think there are, uh, I think there's a ton of work ahead, not only for CFTJ, for, for any um, CSO or NGO that's interested in, in this work and, and trying to get some justice for these uh, human rights violations. There's a ton of work to do in these individual special procedures groups as, as well as in big bodies like the CERD. So I think that's where the bread and butter of our next steps are actually, is, is um, communicating with these special rapporteurs in these working groups. But with regard to the, the CERD, Tamar, do you have any uh, thoughts? Yeah. Um... Well, thank you, Tallinn. I love hearing you talk about this. I was telling Maria I can listen to it forever. Um, so Tallinn is the one who's teaching us this. I mean, that's why we've you know, sent her to represent us. Um, but in September, there'll be another um, very important meeting um, of the Human Rights Council in Geneva. So we're working on hopefully trying to get some, not necessarily that we would send another delegation, but at least have our issues raised on the floor um, at the appropriate times when the relevant topics are being discussed. I'm sure Tanin could talk more about that than I could. Um, so that's on our horizon now. And um, CFTJ will obviously continue to work to collect the evidence. We've never stopped working on that and we will not stop. That is our main priority. Um, our law clinic will start back up in September. So we'll start with the law students, the next round of law students, and um, our lawyers in the U.S. will continue teaching them, mentoring them, and training them to collect the evidence from the survivors. And um, we're also working with a professor and an experienced human rights lawyer in Armenia who's filing, who's beginning to file claims at ECHR on behalf of property claims, on behalf of people from Hadru and Shushi, who are, who have you know, been displaced, forcibly displaced from their land and are now going to be filing claims. So we're assisting with that project. And we are going to be hosting our annual, annual fundraiser, or it's only our second annual one, but in October, just to, so we can continue our work. 
endless, endless projects on the horizon, Maria. <laughs> so I would just um, encourage people to check out the work. And, and I want to thank Tony. Tony, I want to thank you for my organization. We're so pleased with the work that you've done and um, so blessed to have found you to be able to do this work because you're such in a unique position. The fact that you know the UN system, you truly understand Armenia. You've done so much work there over the years and you're an accomplished lawyer in American in American system in your own right. So I just we're very lucky to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. I just let me just say also, um, I, I said this to to Tamad and, and Judge Abkarian a couple of days ago, and I just want to emphasize when you sit down in front of a UN human rights lawyer and you say, We've collected primary source evidence and we've collected it with a bunch of American lawyers who are experts in evidence. And we have stored it in line with international best practices. And we have a trope of all this stuff for you to, to look at. And we've done your work for you. They really, they really perk up. They're really impressed. Um, so I, I'm so grateful that I'm able to represent CFTJ, but also that I'm able to bring them the hard work that you all have been doing. This question is to both Talin and Tamara again. This process... Um, perhaps we can say started in December 2021 when the Republic of Armenia launched a case at the International Court of Justice against Azerbaijan. And this third hearing now is part of that or a continuation of that that will impact that decision. Uh, I, I want to know, are, is your organization, are you, Talin, uh, co coordinating, collaborating with the state of Armenia in this endeavor? How is this working? It, 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 it seems to me that you are this phenomenal organization with a phenomenal delegation. What is Armenia's role in this? So thank you for that question. Actually, uh, we did not correspond at all with the Armenian government or anyone involved in the proceedings in the ICJ when uh, CFTJ prepared their alternative report to the CERD. And we didn't correspond or communicate with them at all in preparation for our oral interventions at the third hearing. Um, I know that during the um, preliminary hearings, there was reference to some of the testimony that was uh, gathered by the Center for Truth and Justice at the ICJ, um, but that's just a product of um, CFTJ sent their testimonial evidence, um, and actually they've written a couple of white papers, and they've sent that those white papers over to the Armenian government in order to see the evidence that they collected. Um, and some of that evidence was mentioned during the um, provisional measures hearings at the ICJ. One thing that's interesting, though, is that the evidence that's discussed in the application of Armenia to the ICJ very much corroborates the independent evidence that's been gathered by CFTJ, and it continues to do so consistently. So obviously it goes without saying we're following the case, um, though the parts of it that are public, and we're interested to see where it goes. Uh, Talin and Tamara, thank you so much for this very, very, uh, as I said at the top, important conversation. It's important for Armenians all over the world in Armenia and the diaspora to know the extremely uh, difficult and challenging work that you have taken upon yourselves uh, in service of, uh, you know, of Armenia and, and Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh. Um, thank you so much. I know the times, time zones were insane for both of you to join us. Uh, and thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Maria. Thanks, Maria.